Well, good morning. I'm glad that you are here. Thank you for choosing to uh, celebrate Easter here at Grace Point Church. And uh, this year we have the first time we have a photo booth, Easter photo booth, so you can take advantage of that with, for your family. And, uh, and uh, <clears throat> you can share that with your mom and tell her I, I was at church today. And so you, she'll be really happy for that. Or your grandma. Um, it, next Sunday, we're beginning a four-week uh, marriage series called The Vow. It's good for um, and practical and beneficial for those who are married, those who want to get married someday, or also those, those of you who, who, you know, you have influence on your, on your younger kids, grandkids that you can use, uh, really the resources there to mentor them in a very important series. So that begins next Sunday. Life... Is full of mysteries. Life is full of mysteries. Here's one. Why is the word abbreviation so long? (laughs) Think somebody could figure that out? Why do airports use the word terminal? Fly the friendly skies as you leave the terminal. As you land and you're supposed to come to the terminal. I think they should... Really look at that word and change that language. Why do we talk louder to someone who doesn't speak our language? They're not deaf. Why do we hold harder, push the remote button harder when we know the battery is dead? Life is full of mysteries. History is full of mysteries. If our government said in the 60s, if our government said that JFK was killed by a lone gunman, and we know by history that he was taken out, then why do they hide and seal thousands of records for almost six decades? Hmm? Most of them were released in 2022, about six decades later. But why are there still thousands sealed? I think they're keeping something from us. History has mysteries. What is really behind Area 51? Have you ever thought about that? Area 51, hmm, what is behind? That's a mystery. And then uh, the city of Atlantis, written by Plato, talked about by Plato, did, did he make it up or was it an actual city at one point in time? History has mysteries. The one we're going to focus on today is this, this mystery of history. How is it that Christianity has survived and thrived for over 2,000 years? Folks, on the surface, it makes no sense at all. On the surface, it makes no sense at all. All the early leaders, except for one named John, uh, died of a martyr's death. Uh, Christianity in the first century was outlawed, was banished, was against the law. And if Christians still practiced Christianity, they were rounded up and taken to Roman Colosseums, and many of them died. How has Christianity survived and thrived? It shouldn't have even made it out of the first century at all. But today, every year, the first Roman emperor... Caesar Augustus, is mentioned around the world in many different languages as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is more recognized and has more influence than the very first Caesar. 
That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. Why? We are celebrating a carpenter from Galilee. Jesus ruled nothing, wrote nothing, barely traveled very far. And, you know, he, he, he had followers who I'm not sure were really good followers. Jesus only had three years of a public, you know, ministry. How is it that Christianity started out really in so much obscurity, is thriving, you know, it's today, 2,000 years later, and billions around the world are celebrating today. Billions are celebrating Jesus. Jesus, who never called for a revolution, who didn't come to start a religion, Jesus, whose message was unique, it was different, it caused the audience to go, huh? When Jesus said, love your enemies. What? Pay your taxes to Caesar. Excuse me? And even Jesus' own commentary on marriage and remarriage, was so, the bar was so high, people re responded, then no one should get married. See, the message of Jesus was unique. It was different. The center of Jesus' message was Jesus. And it, he didn't come across as haughty and arrogant and narcissistic. He came across humble. He didn't tell his followers to follow and trust his ideas. He told his followers to follow and trust in him. And what got, Jesus got in real trouble is who he declared he was. It was a challenge then and it is still a challenge today. The claims that Jesus made about himself caused all kinds of problems, still does today. Here are several of them. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus also said, anyone... This really caused some major problems. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, God the Father. I and the Father are one. When he said this, the Jewish religious leaders lost their minds. Just lost it. It's heresy, blasphemy, that you are declaring that you and God are one. Jesus claimed to be God. This one still causes a challenge in our American culture today, where all roads lead to heaven. Jesus said, nah. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how bad you are, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's an audacious claim. That's an audacious claim, saying if you want to get to heaven, Jesus says you got to go through me. you got to go through me. See, that, that really just drove a lot of people crazy. And it's one of history's mysteries. That how in the world did Christianity survive the first century and is thriving today? Billions of people are worshiping this Jesus. How is it possible that after Jesus was arrested, all his closest followers deserted him. 
And, and before he was killed, his number one disciple denied even knowing him. And then he died. And their, the movement that they were following was over. The mission was done because Jesus was the mission. How is it possible for something to start really out of the gate three years in and really having a flaming end? How has it survived today? Because not one, when he, when he, by the time he died, not one of his followers, followers believed in his message. Not one of his followers believed in his claims. The movement was dead because Jesus died. How in the world, how in the world has Christianity survived and thrived and is in the billions and billions of followers writing songs about Jesus, giving praise to Jesus, giving their lives to Jesus. How is this possible? Where well, Easter solves this mystery. Easter changes everything. It changed it then, it's still changing it today. If you have a copy of God's word, turn to John 20. If you don't have a Bible, it's fine. I'll have the, the verses below me, you can follow along. But I want to be up front. Uh, there's no bait and switch here today. I think that's pointless. I'm here to say I want to challenge those of you who have faith in Jesus that your faith, it, there's the, it has a foundation that you can stand upon and give your life to. But also though, those of you who do not have a faith in Jesus, I want to unashamedly invite you and encourage you to place your faith in Jesus today. In spite of past church experiences, in spite of horrible things in the name of Jesus that have happened, in spite of Christians that you know that did not act anything close to Jesus, in spite of all that, I'm going to ask you to challenge you, encourage you to invite Jesus to be your Savior today. Today, not, not, not to, to surrender yourself to our church or to a person or to follow another believer, but to follow Jesus alone. Jesus alone. So after Jesus died, he was buried. Uh, the religious leaders were nervous that someone would steal his body, so they had the Roman seal placed over the tomb and Roman guards there. Wanted to be double, double sure. I mean, the Jewish religious leaders were done with Jesus, and they wanted this whole chapter be closed. Chapter 20 of John starts like this. Early on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, by the way, that was John who's writing this. I love his little commentaries about himself in this little section here. Peter came running uh, and the other disciple who Jesus loved, and said, this is Mary, she said this, they have, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, notice carefully this commentary, but the other disciple outran Peter <laughs> and reached the tomb first. You think guys are competitive? It's right there. 
John goes, I, got, I just want everybody to know I got there first. But did not go in. He, oh, verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, and this is Peter's personality, and went straight into the tomb and saw the strips of linen lying there that wrapped his body, as well as the cloth that had wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying there in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, he mentions it again, who reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. There's no body, but the clothes that wrapped a dead body off of a cross were still there. Ones that wrapped his body over here, wrapped his head over here, separate. Mary Magdalene came, because at that time they would, in, you know, uh, really give a lot of perfume to hinder the smell of death uh, as long as possible. And so it was already anointed before he was put into the tomb. Now she's there wanting to put more perfume. This is the Mary that washed the feet of Jesus with very, very expensive perfume. She was so overwhelmed with gratitude for what Jesus did in her life and how he forgave her and changed her. And so she goes there and she did not have on her radar the resurrection. Even though Jesus said multiple times, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to die, but in three days I'll rise again. That wasn't even on her radar. The disciples wasn't even on their radar. And she goes there and she was shocked and she went and told them, like, the body's gone. They took it away. And then they run and say, okay, now there's not even coverings over a dead body. And they're lying there. And the head coverings lying there. Let's pick up the story that night, same night, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He said that because they're freaking out. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. His hands were pierced, I mean, with nails, his side that was pierced. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Now, don't miss this. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. The disciples at the arrest of Jesus deserted him, dropped him like a bad habit, and hid for fear. They're thinking if they could arrest Jesus, and then they saw that he was, was crucified on a cross, and, and, and they're thinking, we're next. We're the closest followers of Jesus. They left, deserted him, dropped him, abandoned him, and they were afraid. And now they're in a room with word as the body is gone, and they're afraid that the door would knock at any moment and it's their turn to, get turn to get arrested and eventually die. And in that room, Jesus appears. Jesus appears. He wasn't a spirit. He was in, in the flesh. See my hands? Uh, I, may, I don't know why I didn't show his feet because no one likes to look at feet. Um, and here's, here's, here's the spear room right here. Right here. 
We know in other passages, they, they got to touch him. They got to eat with him. They got to hug him. They got to talk with him. He's real. They were overwhelmed, overjoyed. And don't miss this. He said, just as God sent me, God the Father sent me from heaven to this earth, I am now sending you. In Acts, we know, he says, I'm going to send you out to all corners of the, of the earth to tell people about me. Easter changed everything. These guys who were petrified and fearful were now bold. And they went out and they were telling everybody about Jesus. And when Jesus, uh, Jesus left and went back to heaven, and he said, I'm leaving you as messengers and, and you're my witnesses. I'm gonna give you power to go everywhere, way beyond your comfort zone to share about me. They were bold and began to tell everyone. And they weren't bold because of something Jesus taught. They were bold because what they experienced after the death, they saw him alive, just as he had promised. Then a major holiday in the Jewish calendar arrived. It's called Pentecost. That's where Jewish people, they flooded into Jerusalem from all over the known world. They came in different languages, different tongues, and they all came there. It was just thousands upon thousands, probably several hundred thousand that came from the outside came in. And it was at that moment Peter preaches his first message. He gets their attention, and he starts preaching about Jesus came and you killed him, talking to the Jews, and you killed him, and he just right over there, right over the city wall uh, at Golgotha, but three days later, he rose again. And he gave a message about Jesus rising again, and thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so the religious leaders are now really upset because they thought, man, we were done with Jesus we were finished with Jesus. Now, now, now everyone's talking about him, saying he's alive, and he came back, and, and there's t everybody's coming to Jesus. So they bring some of the disciples in to intimidate them, to interrogate them, and, and to threaten them. And Peter, again, a fisherman, a normal dude, who was fearful, denied Jesus three times, now is standing in front of the very people that he was, was afraid of, and, and Peter says this, you killed the author of life. Peter was um, a little vague there, right? No, he just right in their face. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. We saw him, we heard him, we hugged him, we ate with him, he, we touched him. It wasn't a dream, it wasn't an illusion, there wasn't mass hallucinations, that's scientifically impossible. We witnessed this. That's why they were so bold. That's why they were so powerful and, and, and passionate to share with anybody and everybody, especially those who hated Jesus the most. Then he goes on to say this in chapter 4, Jesus, and he quotes from the Old Testament, Jesus, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And that right there word means that the cornerstone of faith in Jesus is the resurrection. You take the resurrection away, the Bible even says our faith is worthless, it's meaningless, there's no reason for us to gather. 
And he's pointing the finger at the religious leaders that you rejected. He was right here and you rejected him and he's the cornerstone. Then he says salvation, meaning making peace with God from our sins. Salvation is found in no one else. Not you, Caiaphas, the high priest. Not you as a rabbi. Not you as a rabbi. Not anybody else. There is salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name. Under heaven given to mankind by which we are saved from our sins. And the reason there's so much power here is the religious leaders hated the name of Jesus. And we know as followers of Jesus, it is a beautiful name. It is a wonderful name. But it is also a powerful name. And no one can get to heaven except the name of Jesus, by which we are saved from our sins. They were absolutely bold. Well, they dismissed them, they threatened them, and then they went right back out and started teaching and telling everybody about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, he died, and, and we, we saw him. He rose again. And Jew, the Jerusalem was abuzz. They bring the disciples back in, and they're like, now we're going to get more serious and they got in their grill and they said, do not, you are not allowed to speak the name of Jesus ever again. Which with they had a very gentle reply. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judge. You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, they, they were not going out and telling everybody, okay, everybody gather around, gather around, let me tell you something, let me tell you something. Uh, love your neighbors. Love your enemies. Blessed are the, are the poor in spirit, you're gonna inherit the kingdom, kingdom of God. No, they, they didn't say that. They didn't tell people that. They didn't say, okay, everybody gather around, gather around, gather around. Let me tell you the story. And it was, let me tell you about the prodigal son. They didn't share that story. They didn't share the prodigal of, of the good Samaritan. Now, all those things that Jesus taught are important, but Easter, the resurrection, trumps it all. Absolutely trumps it all. It changed everything. And they went out and said, let me tell you that the Savior came. Jesus was the Messiah. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again. He predicted it, and he pulled it off. And then he says, and then Peter, in his message, he says to the people, and they're like, what must we do? He goes, you need to repent. You're walking this way spiritually. You need to stop, turn around this way. You need to repent and believe in Jesus. See, the, see, the, the resurrection punctuated the purpose of the cross. Because anybody could have died. Like, I'm this and that, I'm gonna die for people. Okay, great, golf clap, maybe write you down a little bit of history. But he said, I'm gonna die, and then three days later rise again. And the resurrection punctuates the purpose of the cross, and the purpose of the cross is the forgiveness of our sins. That's why Jesus bled and died. His body was mutilated beyond recognition, Scripture says. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
Going to church will not forgive your sins. Being a good person won't forgive your sins. Being a bad person won't hinder you from having your sins forgiven. Because you and I cannot be good enough to earn heaven, and none of us are bad enough to be rejected. For by grace, we are saved through faith in Jesus. Grace means we didn't earn it, and we don't deserve it. That's what that means. And so that's, that's the great thing is that the history's mystery. There is really no human logic of why something that started, you know, in the first century, the early in the first century, and the main leader dies and all their followers die and they reject Jesus and it starts. Well, it wouldn't have gotten out of the first century. But it did because of Easter. Because the tomb is empty. And that changed everything. Then, and it changed things now. And the early uh, church leaders and early followers of, of, of Christ, because of the empty tomb, because of the resurrection, proving that he was indeed the Messiah, even when they were facing persecution, even when they were threatened with death, most of the disciples we're told you recant Jesus and his resurrection or we will take your head off or put you on a cross and we'll kill you. And none of them recanted. Why? We can't not stop talking about what we saw and what we experienced. And the church exploded. And it wouldn't have exploded without the resurrection. Even to this day, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, you get this, you understand this, is that we live in a broken world. And really the world that is, that is going crazy and, and evil everywhere we turn and hopelessness and purposelessness, it really describes Jesus' words uh, in Matthew, I think, 17 or 24, one of, the, one of those, but at the end of the age and before Jesus comes back, we're living in it. And there's hopelessness all around. There's emptiness. There's despair. And if you ever had to face death without Christ, it is hopeless. It, there's so much despair. But I, many other believers, have experienced when faced with death, when faced with cancer, when faced with, faced with burying a loved one. Yes, we mourn, First Thessalonians says. He says, but we mourn, but not like those who have no hope. Because, in the passage, because of the resurrection of Christ, we have a living hope. And so when I've been in my darkest days, when I've been overwhelmed, when I've, I look around and there's so much despair, I can hang on to my faith in Jesus because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I have conquered the death. I have conquered the payment for your, for your sin. And I rose again. And as I rose again, you will too. Do you have faith in Jesus? Not as a religion. Not having an understanding that, yeah, he, he was some historical figure. But Romans 10 is super clear. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that he rose again, you will be saved. That what Jesus paid for on the cross for your sins, you Believe that and his resurrection, your name is written into the family of God. Never to be erased, ever. That's the hope that we have. It's a living hope for today, but also for beyond this, this earth.
I want to close with some promises that Jesus gave when he was on this earth the first time. And here, I have a very simple philosophy. I've learned it from others. Very simple philosophy. Anybody who says that they're going to die and rise again in three days and they pull it off, I believe anything they say. They might not understand what they say. Some of the parables of Jesus, people have asked me, Pastor Barry, what does it mean? I'm going, I have no idea. Okay? But anybody who predicts their death and resurrection and then they do it, I believe in anything they say. Here are some of the promises Jesus gave. Just a few of them. There's many, but here's just a few. He says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not religion, not works, but Jesus. Now the context of this promise is as he's looking out across the multitude of Jewish people who were burdened and, and weary of trying their best to obey the Mosaic law with hundreds of laws that they could not keep them all. And they were so dependent upon the, 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 the yearly atonement of an innocent lamb covering their blood, covering the sins of the nation. But they were weary spiritually. They were, yeah, they were weary from the Romans. But Jesus says, I'm, I have come to give you rest, not political rest, not financial rest, not physical rest, but spiritual rest. And if you are trying to do your best, to be good enough, to earn God's favor, that is a futile effort. None of us can be good enough. If you're burdened and weary because, man, if, if, you, know, if you knew all the things that I have done, there's no way that God would want me. And Jesus would say, one of the thieves on the cross believed in me that I truly was a son of God. He never went to church. He never was baptized. He never tithed. And Jesus said, no matter what he did, today you'll see me in paradise. And when he died, he met Jesus on the other side. Met Jesus on the other side. That was one of the promises. This is an awesome promise. Here's another promise. This really is for us today. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. An abundant life doesn't mean an abundant amount of money. An abundant life means you have hope in Christ. You have peace with God. That we can live this messed up, jacked up life in this world and still have life and abundantly, and it only comes through a relationship with Jesus. This is a promise that he gives daily, daily to followers of him. Another promise. Jesus said this, gives a picture with a promise for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, talking about himself, that, here's the promise, whoever believes in him, places their faith in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. You want to go to heaven? Believe in Christ, that he died and rose again. And you will be with, with Christ and, and all the benefits of heaven forever and ever. It's a wonderful promise. The last promise I'll, I'll leave with today. I love this promise. Jesus says to his, his fellows, he goes, he goes, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
So Jesus fulfilled every single promise, and we're waiting for this one. He has a pretty good uh, track record right now of keeping his promises. He fulfilled so many Old Testament promises about the Messiah. He fulfilled, fulfilled all of them. And all these promises he gave, and we're waiting for this one. That when he is ready, he's going to come back and take every, all of the rest of his followers who are alive with him to heaven. Do you know Jesus? Not intellectually. Not I grew up in church when I was a kid. Do you know him personally? Is he your savior? I pray that if you haven't, that you will not reject like the builders did, reject the cornerstone of faith. And that is Jesus who died and rose again. I hope that you will not reject the cornerstone, that you would repent and say, I'm turning and I'm following Christ and Christ alone. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. There's a chance to pray a simple prayer of faith to accept Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I don't know anybody's heart. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know your backstory. I don't know your experience with maybe some very difficult Christians. But all of us will stand before God as an individual. And we, get, we will give an account over one thing. Did you accept or reject the Son of God who left heaven to take our place on the cross to forgive us of our sins and rose three days later to prove that he was indeed the Son of God? That's one, the one thing that will be judged by. Have we accepted or rejected Jesus? If you have never trusted in Jesus, I'm challenging you right now, today, because you don't know what tomorrow holds, right now we're sitting there with from your heart to the heart of God. Say this, God, I'm a sinner. My sin has separated me from you. And by faith, I place my faith in Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. And then he rose again, proving that he was indeed God. Jesus, would you be my savior? I trust in you. If you just prayed that prayer while no one is looking, I would love to just know, because I've been praying like crazy for months, that people would be added to the family of God. And maybe today was your day and you just prayed that prayer. I pray, I ask you that you would Put your hand high in the air so I can see who trusted in Jesus today. Amen, 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 amen. Individuals, couples, you trusted in Jesus. Amen. Your name is now written. The Bible calls the Lamb's book of life, Jesus' book of life, that you will forever be a part of his family. God, we say thank you for sending Jesus. And, and what he taught, some of us understand, some, some of we don't understand, but you displayed that you were the perfect lamb, the sacrificial lamb to go on the cross, to die for our sins to be covered, but then you rose again, proving that you were the Messiah, you were the Savior of the world. And you're preparing a place for us, and you're our, you will be coming back to end evil and to bring justice.
but you are giving mankind time to accept the Savior. And God, I thank you. I praise you for the many who trusted you as their Savior today. Draw them now to learn more about you and grow in this, this new faith in Jesus. Jesus, thank you for changing my life and my eternity. I give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we praise God for those who just trusted in Christ? Amen.